Greetings, and welcome to Blue Stocking, the podcast for people who love to learn, but don't always have time to study. I'm your host, Rory Roberts, and today's episode, oddly enough, was inspired by a Facebook post of a friend of mine who suggested that it might be interesting if somebody did a Handmaid's Tale style story about teachers who didn't want to carry guns in a dystopian future. Now, that got me thinking. I loved Handmaid's Tale when I read it uh, years and years ago, more than I care to admit. And I also loved the TV adaptation. And I love a good dystopian story. I'm also a teacher. So I started thinking about what it would be like for teachers to have to carry against their will. So I came up with this story. Uh, It is a short story that I've just started, and it's a work in progress, but I thought it was interesting enough to possibly share. Now, a quick disclaimer, this is a work of fiction. Names, characters, businesses, places, events, locales, and incidents are either the products of the author's imagination or used in a fictitious manner. Any resemblance to actual persons living or dead or actual events is purely coincidental. So without further ado, Amo Amo, A Dystopic Vision, Part 1. There was a pounding on the door. She vaguely recollected the scenes from one of her favorite films, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead, a young Gary Oldman talking about a man in the pre-dawn light shouting their names and banging at the shutters. She started to wonder if she was remembering correctly. It had been years since she'd seen the film, or if she'd just created these images and memories in a stressed and sleep-starved brain. It was early, there really was someone pounding on the door, and she blearily lurched the few steps from her bed to the switch that would turn on the lights and send a signal to the guard outside. The pounding on the door stopped, but the pounding in her ears, her heart, her stomach, all continued. It was always there, a dull ache that served to remind her that her own choices had led her here, and that this is where she would have to stay for the foreseeable future. Never again. The youth had said never again after that last major shooting, and in a way they'd been right. Because lawmakers finally listened, after a fashion. But nobody could have foreseen how the association would take even more power and wield it so ruthlessly. Never again would schools be the same. It had all happened so quickly, so smoothly, that nobody outside of the association realized until it was far too late that these plans had been in motion for years, decades. There had been contingency plans for the contingency plans. It was all so inevitable, and nobody had seen the extent of what was coming. A few brave pundits made jokes about the whole thing until they were silenced or bought. That's what happened to everybody who'd been unable or unwilling to get out before the borders were closed. They were either silenced or bought. She'd been bought, and in the selling had been silenced. She told herself she'd stayed for the kids. 
A co-worker in the old days had compared teaching in their notoriously challenging school to a woman who stays in an abusive relationship. You stay for the kids, she'd said. They'd half laughed at the half joke and then both taken a sip of their Earl Greys, the only tea drinkers in the building. The memory came back to her now as she dressed in the harsh light of her room, her dark gray uniform softened by use. She'd thought things were bad back then when the co-worker had left and urged her to do the same. The kids will be all right with or without you. She'd stayed anyway, even as things got harder, because she believed the kids needed her help. Eventually, she'd get over that feeling, the savior-teacher mentality. When the plans had been set in motion, she was still there because she loved those kids. She knew they didn't need her, that somebody else could fill her shoes and would take good care of them, but she loved where she was, warts and all, because those kids were amazing in the most surprising of ways. That's what always brought her back when she was tempted to throw up her hands and walk away. The kids who loved what they did together and shared their talents and time. It wasn't like that now. Now, she walked down a harshly lit hallway from her dorm to the training facility. The air was stale and just cool enough to promote wakefulness without being uncomfortable. As she moved through the hallway, others were emerging from their own rooms, either nodding in greeting or drowsiness. They formed a line when they reached the facility, scanned their badges to check in, and were issued their usual breakfast— a bland protein shake with the same amount of caffeine as a standard cup of coffee. Another line to pick up their practice gear and supplies for the day, just a few minutes of standing around with their colleagues, sipping their meals as the line moved slowly forward. They could hear the shots from the next room. At first it had been deeply unsettling, those loud, irregular bursts of explosive sound, but over time they'd become so inured to it that they could drink their morning meal and carry on conversations as the line crept forward. She felt very alone this morning. Surrounded as she was, she didn't really know anyone very well around her. The people in line in front of her were deep in conversation, their body language indicating they did not welcome outsiders. The man behind her had given a curt nod and then slid his eyes away from hers when she'd turned to address him earlier, on the cusp of saying good morning. She'd kept to herself before, the demands on her time being what they were, and her department had always been somewhat isolated from the rest, but times like this needled her conscience, made her anxious to reach out to her colleagues. They were all on the same team, weren't they? She sipped at her flavorless breakfast as she ambled another few steps ahead. The double doors in front of her opened, a cold blast of air hitting her in the face as she tossed her empty cup in a bin by the door and nodded at the guard waiting for her. The hairs on her arms and the back of her neck raised, a reaction to the cold mostly, but part of what she was about to do always gave her pause. The guard smiled at her with his eyes only the rest of his face an impassive mask. They'd been friendly before all this. She'd gone to him once with a problem, had never spoken more than a passing greeting in the hallways as they each went about their business, but on that day suddenly found herself in tears in this stranger's office, recounting the series of events that had led to her feeling so helpless. 
he'd actually listened, which took her by surprise because no one she'd tried talking to had. She'd gone to him out of desperation, expecting to be turned away or her words discounted, but he'd sat across from her that day, calmly handing her a box of tissues when the tears started flowing, and he let her get everything out before asking how she'd like him to help. There had been no judgment, which was also unexpected, although as she looked back later on what she'd known of him up to that point, she was ashamed that she'd made that assumption. He had a reputation for being fair, kind, and compassionate. He'd advocated on her behalf that very afternoon, and within a week, the problem that had been giving her nightmares in the evenings and panic attacks during the day had been solved. She brought him a thank you card and breakfast tacos, still piping hot in their foil wrappers from the stand by her house one morning, mumbled an awkward thank you as she blushed and handed them to him. He'd smiled, his face lighting up in bemused delight, given her a brusque side hug and said something like, just doing my job, but thanks for the tacos. It wasn't a crush, really, more like hero worship. He was her own guardian angel, and as she'd watched over the years since, she'd seen others come to view him the same way. She loved seeing kids who had trouble with authority gradually get won over by his calm and patient demeanor. They'd light up when they saw him, kids who didn't light up for anyone else. He'd give them high fives with his bear claw hands, and she could easily imagine what these kids had been like as toddlers, before anyone had ever told them they were bad, before they learned to be wary of authority figures. She took it as a good omen every time she witnessed one of these high fives, like seeing a shooting star. It was like magic was happening somewhere nearby, or was about to happen. These memories pricked at the backs of her eyes as she placed her computer, ammunition, and weapon on the table. She felt the tiny pinpricks of tears as she turned and he ran a wand over her uniform, checking for contrabands like extra ammo. A sniff and he looked up at her, but she kept her eyes forward and willed herself to calm down, lest she draw attention to her fraught emotions. That was another thing about this new regime. Mental illness was tolerated, but only just and heavily monitored. She herself was listed as having a pre-existing condition, anxiety. She was kept on a serious regime of anti-anxiety medication, spoke with a school-appointed counselor once every other week, and participated in mandatory yoga sessions at the end of each school day. To be fair, every teacher was prescribed the same as she, whether they displayed symptoms or not, but she made it a point every day not to give anyone anything they could use against her. Sometimes she slipped, but when that happened, she reminded herself that she was only human, and then she practiced one of the many counting and breathing exercises taught in her bi-weekly counseling sessions. The daily routines helped, too. It was amazing how much living like a mindless drone helped rid her of her former worries. Every waking moment was planned out for her weeks in advance. Weekdays, for example, started like this. 5 a.m. The pounding at the door signaling time for her to get dressed, wash her face, use the restroom, and brush her teeth. 5.20 a.m. Report to the training facility annex to check out computer 
ammo, and weapon. Grab breakfast and drink it in line. 5.30 a.m. Proceed to indoor shooting range. Check in once more with guard on duty. 5.33 a.m. Move to a assigned shooting carol, don earmuffs, and load weapon. 5.35 a.m. Discharge 15 rounds. 5.36 a.m. Wait for scanner to determine percentage of kill shots. 5.37 a.m. Scanner announces 93% accuracy. She allows herself a small smile, feeling lucky. Today, her aim is good. Normally, she has to shoot again at least once. The program won't allow her to proceed to her classroom until she's at least 90% accurate. Even growing up with guns, going hunting as a kid, or shooting clay pigeons with her father, she was never this good. It's taken time. Time and lots and lots of target practice. She used to be summoned to the shooting range much earlier. It's become a reward for building proficiency. Those who do well at target practice don't take as much time. If they don't take as much time, they don't have to start as early. She remembers what it was like to rise at four. She does not miss those days. It's been a slow but inexorable climb to where she is now. Part of her resisted at first, purposefully misfired to try to prove a point, but self-preservation and exhaustion eventually won over, and she started to actually get really good. Guilt battled with exaltation when her wake-up summons was moved from 4 a.m. to 4.30, and again when it moved to 5. She'd be up for review again soon if she kept improving at this rate. 5.38 a.m. She narrows her green eyes at the target downrange, quickly taking note that every bullet hit the target within the kill zone save two. A pause from her methodical cleaning of her gun. That didn't make sense. If she'd missed two shots, she'd have a lower percentage of accuracy. Then she spots it, still amazed at the improvement in her vision since the compulsory surgery a year ago. One of the bullet holes is actually two. So close together, they're practically on top of one another. Her eyebrows raise slightly as she lets out a low, amused whistle, briefly daydreaming about what it would be like to be so good she could make a smiley face or write her initials during target practice. She catches herself, horrified at the ease with which she'd slipped into that particular fantasy. This wasn't a game. They went through daily target practice and weekly surprise drills in order to efficiently protect their students from an active shooter. A shooter who, in all likelihood, would either be a former or current student if statistics could be trusted. Was she in danger of reaching the point of automatically firing off a sadistic smiley face into the vulnerable heart of a child? Her own heart ached at the thought and her mind started a frantic thread of worrying about the implications of doing something so often it becomes mechanical. The body a mindless machine. She pushes the thoughts away, gathering her things and exiting the range after a check-in with a second guard, one she doesn't know, who looks at her stats and nods his silent approval as he waves her out. 5.45 a.m., one of her favorite parts of the day. 
She exits the range into a large enclosed garden, surrounded, of course, by the ubiquitous high-walled fence and barbed wire present in every public school since the new reforms. It was still dark out, that eerily quiet part of the morning just before dawn. If the fence weren't there, she'd be able to see the lightning of the horizon as the sun crept out of the edge of the earth. As it was, she still had a few minutes of starlight just visible above her before those tiny bursts would be outshone by the approaching sun. It was strangely beautiful, this rectangle above her of changing light. She had seen masterpieces in museums and natural wonders in different corners of the globe, and now she took simple satisfaction in this morning routine, walking the walls, inhaling the scent of morning dew on the grass, enjoying the small patch of sky above her, something she would never take for granted again. Time outside in the open air was precious. She used to joke about never seeing the sun because she worked so much and they kept her locked in her little corner. It was reality now. She wished more than anything that she could travel back in time and do something, anything to change the trajectory for all of them. Prevent that last calamitous tragedy and the fallout that followed. She could admit to herself and was encouraged by her counselor to do so, that good things had also happened as a result. She was in better shape mentally and physically than she had ever been. Teachers were now paid closer to their worth and afforded that commodity so long withheld by the public. Respect. In the kids' terms, she was making bank. Of course, she wouldn't see any of it until she hit early retirement in in another five years, but it felt really good to know that she had a healthy nest egg growing while she labored in the fortress that now passed for a school. She'd been grandfathered into the Protect-Teach program as a veteran teacher with 10 years under her, belt, under her belt. She'd barely made it, and if she were honest with herself, she probably wouldn't have passed the rigorous standards laid out for new teachers applying for positions. It was prestigious now to teach, like it should have been all along before something in the hive mind broke and decided that people who gave their lives to help children were nothing more than glorified babysitters who worked eight to three and got summers off. She still got upset about that sometimes, but which was worse? Working in a job you loved, with challenges no one understood or respected, or working in a job that sucked the life out of you day by day while garnering palpable benefits from society like prestige and high paychecks. As she finished her turn about the garden, a phrase she used to remind herself of simpler times like Jane Austen and innocence that almost never failed to bring a a small wry grin, she thought to herself that she still preferred the version without the guns. Her walk was nearing an end. She'd made it around the garden and was drawing nearer the double doors leading into the school building proper. As she opened the door, she afforded herself one final glance at the sky above. The sunlight was spreading over the edges of the fence now, a gradual fade from gray to pink to peach, the last stars vying for their spots in the dark. 
did they somehow know their time was almost up. She turned her back on them and ventured inside. <laughs>